You're listening to a DM podcast. Welcome to The Five of My Life with me, Nigel Marsh. As an author, ad man and theologian, I've always been interested in people's stories. Not just those with a high profile, but people from all walks of life, regardless of fame. Which is why I created this show. Each guest who takes the Five of My Life challenge chooses a favourite film, book, song, place and possession. They tell me their choices in advance so I can research them, but they don't tell me why they've chosen them. That's the subject of our conversation. It's amazing what you can learn when discussing someone's five choices. I hope you enjoy listening to the show as much as I enjoy making it. Angela Caterns is one of the nation's most loved and respected broadcasters, with a voice as smooth as chocolate and a wit as sharp as a knife. Honest, challenging and refreshing, her unique combination of intellect and personality makes her someone I have long wanted on the show. It was a delight hearing her discuss her five choices. So, Angela Caterns, welcome to Five My Life. Well, thank you very much, Nigel. No, thank you, because I came to Australia in 2001 and I didn't know anybody and I was working very hard and it was a new country never been to Australia before and I moved my entire family around the world and I woke up with you metaphorically oh. every single day for four years so you got me into Australia and Australiana and feeling like home and all those things now, now that so it's like an unbelievable thrill for me to be here with you. Oh, settle. Um, well, thank you, Nigel. That's a lovely thing to say. I have to say one day I went into a shop and a woman, uh, I was talking to her. She had a, quite a strong accent. I think she was Turkish, from Turkey originally. And I had to give her my name for some reason. Oh, I, I, I had made an order with her and she needed my contact details. And she went, oh, you taught me English. And it was the most thrilling feedback. You could ever get. Not as thrilling as the feedback that I've just given you. No, well, that was very thrilling also. (laughs) But you already spoke English. (laughs) Um, Now, how do you find the process of choosing? Was that a pain in the backside or did you enjoy it? Did you talk to loved ones about your choices or? No, look, I came up with some and then I sort of lived with it for a while and thought, hmm, should I change that? I think the hardest one is the song. To find one song is incredibly difficult. Well, thank you for going to the effort of landing on five. I push all my guests. You go, I, I, I can't be doing with the belly aching. I know it's hard, but it's five of my life, not six and a half of my life. So <laughs> you have landed on five, for which I am grateful. And we always start with the film. Uh, and you have chosen Cameron Crowe's semi-autobiographical Almost Famous. Tell us why you chose that on Five My Life. Well, it just resonated with me as a young teenager and music lover, I used to buy American Rolling Stone magazine in the newsagents. Before there was an Australian version, there was only one Rolling Stone magazine. And I used to buy it and read it. I may have even subscribed to it at some point. And, you know, um, it, it, it in there was a, was a journalist called Cameron Crowe and Ben Fong Torres and all these people I became quite familiar with. I loved reading Rolling Stone. I even wrote some letters that were published in Rolling Stone. Um, And so the film, directed by Cameron Crowe, 
is, you know, the story of him as a young rock and roll journalist who follows a band and, you know, all the trials and tribulations. And it, I could just identify with it. I couldn't identify necessarily with the beautiful Penny Lane character who was, let's face it, a groupie. Um, but there was just something about the sensibility of that film that really, um, you know, struck a chord with me. And the music, of course, was magnificent. It's just such a such a surprising film because I, th- I think it, it's like easily entertaining and enjoyable but I think it's got depth to it surprising depth it's sort of character driven and, and they're not all cardboard cutouts and did you know that um, Pitt was cast originally what? Brad Pitt to be, oh. to be, to be the, 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 the crud up oh character. I'm so glad he wasn't and, and, and that's <laughs> so, so I've got enormous respect for dear old Brad because he said after two or three weeks of doing it do you know what this is not me. It's just not me. You don't, you don't need it. You go, yeah, you're right, mate. You'd be totally wrong because it wasn't that type of a film. I did not know that, yeah. Nigel. Well, it's five of my life. We try and bring new things to, to the audience. It was a commercial bomb. Was it really? Yeah. It, so it made like 20 million less than it cost to make. What a shame. Yeah, but it's loved and the critics rave about it and people like you and me think it's a gorgeous film. Makes me want to ask, in, in your storied, varied, successful career, um, would you mind talking a little bit about the the balancing act between sort of monetization and rewarding work has it always been the same or have you have you done things that have been really successful that you hated doing or things that, yes. you, that were, were a disaster but yes well i mean for the majority of my career i've worked at the abc which as we know is the public broadcaster and it's always pushed for funds so you don't work at the abc for the money um but it was you know always enjoyable and i love it and to this day i still do a little gig on the abc every saturday i present the saturday breakfast show on abc north coast at one stage, I was lured, well, in fact, a couple of times, but one memorable time, I was lured to a brand new commercial radio station, which was being uh, built from the ground up. And so I was lured over there, you know, on the promise of helping to build this radio station, and I was going to be the breakfast presenter, which I was. Um, and it didn't it didn't become immediately successful. And so they tinkered around the edges. They put other people on the show with me. It ended up that there were, I think, five of us doing the breakfast show. <laughs> and everybody was, a, as I call them, chuckleheads. And right. that's, <laughs> that is not my shtick. <laughs> uh, you, you have the people. So someone said this to me, um, I don't want to be anyone's laughter track. But, 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 but your <laughs> job, sit there and look pretty. And when that boffo says something, go, ha, ha, ha. But for this... Nigel, I was paid a fortune. (laughs) And so I was sitting there on several occasions working out how much I was being paid per word because there were so many people and it was so hard to get a word in. It was foolish and I felt bad. I was dying inside. And so I left. I just simply went, this is not for me. And I forewent this enormous salary. And um, yeah, and that was the end of that. I love those stories where it, it's hard, if not impossible, to put an old head on young shoulders. And I look back at some of the decisions I've made. And think, what were you? I mean, what were, what you, were thinking? you thinking? So, so now, with with your experience and wisdom, you probably look back and go, "Really, Angela? That was going to work, was it?" With, you know, with that, that, it's just a matter of time before it goes wrong. It's, yes, it, it's but, not if; it's when. Yeah, I know. I know what you're saying, but I mean, I still thought that there was hope for this gig and hope for this radio station. And, you know, it was an exciting prospect to be building a radio station from the ground up, and I was in on that. But it didn't 
turn out that way. When I look back at the mistakes I've made that now I think, well, that was obviously a mistake. I sort of don't mind having made them because you made some friends, you made some money, you you, you learned some stuff. It, 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 there must have been positive things about it. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. And yeah, I've got super. <laughs> <laughs> now, the other thing about that film that uh, I wanted to ask, is sort of a, a two-layer question. So, so um, your teenage young adulthood which that film just so beautifully describes mm, you know it really you, you know, does, you know grabbing it? life and the first Divine. first you, you know good music good sex good drugs good adventure you know yeah. kicking it and the is, gorgeous mother oh, well, played well, by well, Frances McDormand well this is well this is the here we go you are a savant you 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 are guessing my next question oh. so so it, it's there's, there's two questions one your wild child years, if you had any, mm-hmm. uh, and two, how I'm they... I'm still having them, baby. Excellent. <laughs> just just come back from like 10 years in France, I gather. But also how that's informed how you mothered uh, your daughter when she was going through her years. Were you a Frances McDormand? I, just, I thought she was so funny in that film. Or, 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 or were you a laid-back hippie mum or were you a Victorian dad? Well, what, so you are asking me what kind of parent I was. Not that good, I have to say. I was a bit neglectful early on because my uh, head was turned by um, a person who then, you know, broke my heart and betrayed me. But that's another story. But my parents were incredibly... Um, understanding and whatever makes you happy style of thing. And so I I guess that's, you know, the style of parenting that I went for as well. Um, And yes, I I mean, I I dropped out of of life very early on, not out of life, but I had started as a copywriter in advertising. Yes, you you were started the dark side like me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and then I left the dark side. I sort of dropped out and went to live in the country. And yes, I became a hippie for a while. I was a hippie. And then I, you know, got bored with being a hippie and I moved to the country uh, to Orange and worked there. And then I came back to Sydney and worked at Triple J. Uh, But uh, it was an extraordinary path. And Behind it all were my very supportive and loving parents. Wow. Okay. And so does that mean that uh, – I love it when kids rebel against parents. If you've got a hippie parent, does that make you a straight <laughs> – yes. you know, I'm going to rebel by being an accountant. Well, I think my daughter is a little bit like that. She's, <laughs> she's quite sort of fierce and um, – uh, and doesn't quite subscribe to all the things that I subscribe to. But um, she's adorable and I love her dearly and she's my only child. Um, but they weren't heavy parents. They were just deeply loving. My father was a veteran of World War II. He was a pacifist. He thought women were the, going to be the saviour of the world. Oh, he was, good on him. He was very progressive, actually. <laughs> With a, a radio link here, talking about being a sort of laid-back parent, we're going to move to your second choice on Five My Life. Excellent. Uh, and you have chosen one of my favourite writers. You have chosen Happy Go Lucky. Uh, it's Sidaris's first new collection of personal essays since his um, Calypso 2018 book. Uh, tell us why you have chosen that. Well, over the years, I have read pretty much everything that David Sidaris has written. And I've seen him, you know, live at the Opera House in Sydney several times. 
And I just think he is a wonderful writer. He's easy to read. You know, he's kind of, well, of course he's funny. He's a satirist. He is very funny. He's droll. He's often quite sentimental. I think he writes beautifully. And above all, he has these amazing observations. And I know that he lives life with a notebook in his pocket. And everything, you know, that catches his eye, he writes down and then writes about it. And it's something I wish I'd done, actually. Right. I mean, I know you have written, you had poems published and everything. I mean, have you got a book that's brewing? No, I have not. No, because you didn't do the Sidaris note Exactly, and I've never kept a journal and I just am so regretful about that. That book, I was laughing. When he goes to the gun range with his sister <laughs> and, 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 and the guy, the, and the sister obviously is brilliant at shooting and he's a complete numpty, blah, blah, blah. But the guy keeps on calling him Mike. And the, I just love the way Sidaris, it's, it's a very special, special talent where he writes about the humiliation of his sister being good at shooting and him not being but also the humiliation of the gun range owner getting his name wrong and but he only Sidaris could write it like this um, getting my name wrong when I'm used to being introduced and people saying oh the David Sidaris yes. <laughs> <laughs> and this guy's got absolutely no notion yeah, of his fame but there's a brilliant uh, page two 141 and it's actually <laughs> him quoting Saul Bellow losing a parent is something like driving through a plate glass window you didn't know it was there until it shattered and then for years to come you're picking up the pieces mm. wow and, and this is in a comedy book so I, I think the that the it's almost a sleight of hand where there's 18 stories in it and I was reading it and laughing along going god I love his writing and then suddenly we're talking about his abusive father that's right I mean oh my god you go I thought this was a comedy and, and but he writes it with a light touch and you go wow so so couple of questions I mean I mean I'm not an expert in in the Caterns oeuvre but something you do that, that is uh, um, uh, <laughs> very impressive is you do that you laugh you're nice you're likable but you're you walk that beautiful line between populist and moronic which is not easy to do right uh, okay. um, so, so how does one do that be intelligent as well as entertaining and blah 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 but the second thing is to chat about the passing of parents mm-hmm. and I would like to ask you to talk a little bit about that journey for for you. Both my parents have have, have gone, um, and I thought Sadaris died. Yeah, yeah. Di- I, I share yes. David Sadaris's dislike of yes. euphemism. Yes, it moved on, passed. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Thank mm. you. Mm. I, I, um, it's a bit like um uh, the wonderful uh, Ross Fitzgerald. People say I, I haven't had a drink for twenty years. You go alcoholic drink. You would be dead, <laughs> Nigel. If right. you, you, you know, my dad hasn't passed or moved on. He's rotting underground, poor bastard. Right? He's dead, 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 dead is to chat about your parents dying. I'd love to. I loved my parents dearly. Really, I loved them. My father was my hero. I'm so I'm so grateful because so many people have been stuffed up by having bad parents or bad families. Mine was magnificent. It was like something out of a fairy tale almost. My mother was gorgeous. Anyway, um, yes, they both died within the last 10 years. My father died and I was there when he died. And my mother died and she died in her own bed in her own home as she had wanted to do. She was 95. My father was 89. And my sister and I 
uh, cared for her in the last year or so of her life. It became almost a full-time job to look after her, keep her in the home because she didn't want to go into a nursing home. Uh, and so, yeah, um, I was there when she died too. And it was a huge effort to, you know, manage staff and palliative care nurses and all of that. It was a huge effort for my sister and I. But um, I'm so glad that we did it. I have no regret around the death of either of my parents. My gran and my mum died in their own home, yeah. how, how they wanted to. Yeah. Uh, my dad, and I, I, I want to chat to Andrew Denton because my dad um, was in a home for 10 years, uh, just dementia. Oh, uh, yes, you know, I, don't, I can't even talk about it. It's so upsetting. So living will. Kate and I, my wife, wrote living wills, and mine was, you know, if I'm, you know, incapacitated or whatever yeah. else. And, and Kate wrote one, which is she can put me down if I get boring. <laughs> I go, sweetheart, raise the bar. Yeah. I mean, it's supposed to yeah. be. <laughs> but I know, I know what you mean and I know about, you know, what you're saying about chatting to Andrew Denton and and absolutely, 100%. I, know, I used to volunteer with my dog, actually, who was who's a, um, a therapy dog. Well, she was and now she's a reading dog. But I used to volunteer with her and we'd go into a nursing home and I would see these people whose lives have been sucked out of them by dementia and who whose lives are, I believe are just not worth living they are literally curled up in bed 24/7 um changing tack uh, the last question on your second choice is Sidaris talks about which I think is really lovely how I owe it all to Ira I owe it all to Ira Glass. I would just be some bloke, you know, reading my writing in bookshops and no one would know about it. But then the NPR Santaland Diaries, bloody hilarious. He got me on NPR and then that was the making of Sidaris, the global brand, the yes, global phenomenon. The, this American life. Yeah. I wanted to share with you a tiny little quote of from this latest book of his, Happy Go Lucky, because it's, all, it, it's sort of written in the time during and after COVID and he's in New York and a whole lot of things happen in New York. And he writes, when George Floyd was killed, seemingly overnight, all of New York came to smell like fresh plywood. And I just thought, what an amazing observation, you know, because obviously all the stores were trashed and the glass was broken and everyone was nailing up plywood over their stores he, he, he's very very uh very competent and adept writer so he and about a page after that quote he writes <laughs> which is only he could do because it isn't offensive how he writes it where he talk, talks about taking black Lives matters uh, marches like buses yes that's right <laughs> <laughs> and you go that's just, yeah, the marches everywhere i took the black Lives yeah, matter you know, right. down 33rd street yeah, that's right. <laughs> So the question I was, I was going to ask is, was there a big break or big breaks moment in your career where an Ira type person said, oi, love, get on ABC Lismore or something? Oh, or there was actually. So at one stage, the ABC hired a wonderful radio consultant, an American woman called Valerie Geller, and uh, which was magnificent. And it coincided with the start of me presenting that show, which you heard when you came to Australia. It was The Breakfast Show on ABC Sydney. They had teamed me with a man. They'd put a journalist who came into the studio often because, I don't know, because he might be more heavyweight. That's what they call it in journalism, heavyweight, uh, whereas I was not. I was lightweight. So anyway, um, I like, he was a very nice man, but it just didn't sit right with me. And uh, the ABC kindly gave me a session with the woman who is now my guru, uh, Valerie Geller, 
and she listened to about 30 seconds and she said, Angela, you sound like you're in radio jail. <laughs> and I did. That's exactly <laughs> how I felt. And radio jail, brilliant. Yeah, and so she spoke to my manager, a lovely man called Roger Summerall, who gave me my head, who took away the blokes. Right. And there I was. I, I was given my head. I was given trust and confidence. And I took that show to number one. I'm so glad I asked that question. Isn't that wonderful? And go Valerie and go Roger. Exactly. Yeah. Go Valerie and go Roger. Moving on to your third choice on Five My Life, and this goes straight on to the Five My Life Spotify playlist, oh. which I never tire of telling people is a sensation. We are going to discuss Homeward Bound, the Simon and Garfunkel 1966 classic. Homeward Bound, I wish I was Homeward Bound. Tell us why you've chosen that on Five My Life. Ah, well, you know, this was the hardest of all to decide which song. Would it be a Joni Mitchell song? Um, But this song, so the aforementioned heartbreaking bust-up that I had, which was with a woman, actually, the first time I was in a relationship with a woman. And um, anyway, all of that happened at exactly the same time that my mother died. So uh, I was full of grief and sadness. Uh, and I decided best go back to the country. So I did. I bought a house in the, on the north coast of New South Wales, where I now live. And uh, I arranged for, you know, all my furniture and stuff to be moved up there. And I drove with my dog in the back seat up north to the country, which is a long drive. From and and this, is, this is not with a woman, this is post-woman. That's right. With a broken heart. Post, a broken heart and a dog, not, not and full And post-death of mother also. Oh, dear. Okay. Yeah, it was all, all very sad and all piled in on top of itself. So anyway, this was a wonderful move to buy a house in the country back on the north coast where I'd lived twice before in my life. Uh, and here I am driving up this beautiful country road towards my new house and... Oh, I'm going to cry now. No. <laughs> and playing this song, Homeward Bound. Oh, Angela, that's, <laughs> I'm not really quite sure what to say apart from thank you for showing that. Uh, um, ex-relationships, uh, I've got a natural purient interest, so apologies. Is, is Did one ever make up and then friends with or, or is it daggers at dawn, never spoken to ever since? Oh, uh, look, that, that is such a long, <laughs> a long and, oh, God, turgid story. I'm not going to bore you. Okay, well, <laughs> but, but the song, just fantastic. And I, I, was, I was reading the lyrics to my wife uh, when I was researching this, going, those blokes, it's not just a great song. You can read it on the page without any music and go, this is, the poor bastard is touring around England, he's fed up, he's blah, 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 and he's, you know... He, he just I, I, wants to go home. <laughs> and, and he wrote it on Witness train station. Um, which train station? Witness train station. There is a plaque in the north of England. <gasps> so that, Paul Simon is sitting on a train station. Got a ticket to my destination on a tour of one night stands. My suitcase and guitar in hand. And he just cracks out Homeward Bound. Beautiful. Um, but I love that there's a, a plaque at the station. Yeah. That's great. Isn't that, so this is two things you didn't know. I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm yeah. feeling happy with myself. Okay. So uh, 
One of the verses goes, Tonight I'll sing my songs again. I'll play the game and pretend. But all my words come back to me in shades of mediocrity. There's something I have enormous admiration for is people who can have, uh, I'm trying to think of, of, a, of a less wanky phrase, but authentic longevity. So to avoid the phoning it in thing, mm-hmm. right? And, and and this is a backhanded compliment because it seems to me that, that that you are brilliant at that. You you whatever you do, it's like your heart and soul. You're in it, and you connect with the audience. Blah blah. How come? I suppose I loved what I did. I continue to love what I do. Um, the beauty of being on the radio is that you have a community around you. It's a lovely feeling to know that there are people who enjoy listening to you, who enjoy waking up to you. Um, It's a privilege, but I love being at the centre of this radio community. I spoke to um, uh, Richard Glover about this on on this show years ago. Um, Lovely chap. Where radio is more intimate than telly, but it's got one less sense. And you go, yeah, but but it just is, I find it more intimate. Oh, absolutely it is. And, it, but but why is it? Well, because you're in the car, all the windows are up, you know, you're either singing at the top of your lungs, which is often what I do, which I would never do anywhere else other than in the car with all the windows up, listening to the radio, singing along. Um, the other thing I suppose it is, is that, and often when I'm on the radio, I do close my eyes. So, in fact, I deliberately deprive myself of that sense because you are communicating, you know, just with your voice. Yeah. I didn't deliberately um, go into radio because I thought I had a good voice or because, um, you know, I liked the sound of it. It was because of music. Right. It was music that, that drew me to radio. Mm. Yeah. What, what, what a lovely set of influences that all led to uh, this amazing career. And now, now one trivial piece of gossip I just need to uh, get a fact check on. Yes. Uh, when I go to the Opera House, which I do on a number of occasions, uh, I love the place, is it you saying, oh, we get in your seats? Yeah. That's, I mean, hey, <laughs> hey forget all the other awards, Angela. That, that's that's okay. the crowning achievement. That's I love right. that. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the performance in the concert hall will commence <laughs> in five minutes. Please take your seats. <laughs> I hope it was a good paying gig. Nah. <laughs> nah. <laughs> but it's lasted, hasn't that great? The other famous gig I did, Nigel, was the safety announcements on Qantas for a long time. They've all changed now. This is how the sentence, uh, how the announcement began. Subtly, every aircraft is different. <laughs> <laughs> Today, you're flying on a Boeing 737, blah, blah, blah. When you hear the words brace, brace, brace. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love... Uh, that those announcements that you that you have to make and people making them different. So, so there's uh, I, I do a bit of I know, I know you do as well MC work where people uh, saw one MC once come on the stage and say, "Ladies and gentlemen, turn off your phones and lower your expectations." <laughs> <laughs> That's a beauty. Can I share with you one other thing? Oh, no, which please was do. That I, yes. I also did uh, all the announcements at the. Uh, Olympic Park for Sydney 2000 Olympics and I did also I think there were about 250 contingency announcements that I had to record you know in the event of and um, one of them was this one ladies and gentlemen as strong winds have been forecast please hold your possessions tightly (laughs) (laughs) you're very good at it (laughs) thank you now your fourth choice on five my life is always the place and you have chosen i mean you've got a bit broad katerns you've got a bit broad sydney harbour 
which bit of it? All of it? Ah, so this was my favourite place. Funny because, well, you know, I don't live here anymore, but I'm born and bred in Sydney. And yesterday I was flying over Sydney Harbour and it was a beautiful sparkling day. And you see the wake of the boats curving around the headlands um, as depicted in, you know, those beautiful, famous Brett Whiteley paintings. And um, it's just divine and it's full of boats. And my father was a sailor and he taught me to sail. So I love sailing. I love boating. I'll even get excited catching a ferry. Where did you grow up on which which bit of it? So mainly uh, Dromoyne on the Parramatta River, which ends up in the harbour. And so that was, um, yes, that's kind of my spiritual home, beautiful, the river. We lived on the river there, actually, and we had a little tidal pool and we had, you know, a dinghy that you'd throw in the water and I used to roll across the river. I had a friend who lived on the other side. and oh, idyllic. I know very many beautiful, you know, uh, adventures messing about in boats. Is that dinghy sailing or or, 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 y- or yachts with me, cabins? You give me whatever. <laughs> <laughs> any any, any kind. Of. But, yes, preferably, preferably a yacht that you can go out to sea on. And, and have you done... Things like Lord Howe or, or to, to Hobart or big things, or, or is it mainly day trips? I have done a, a cruise from Sri Lanka to Singapore on a lovely 50-foot yacht. Right. Yes, and I've sailed up to Pitwater and back m- many times. That's probably it. But no, I haven't raced to Hobart. But I did used to do a bit of in-harbour racing. Ages ago, my brother and I, there was a thing called a newspaper in England, uh, The Mirror, did a competition, and it's the mirror dinghy, where you buy a kit, and we built it. I mean, it, this thing was, it was like a bathtub. They race them still in Sydney. <laughs> Fantastic. And then you, but you have to, I have to check, because that's my sailing, and other people who are sailing, and they mean, you know, like a big boat with a cabin, and they go to America <laughs> and back. <laughs> and go, no, no, I've done mirror dinghy sailing. Gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Um, now the last choice on Five My Life, um, you have chosen My Dog Sailor. Tell me about him or her. Oh, the possession. Yes, I possess her. I've possessed her for 10 years. She is a beautiful border collie. She's a what's called a grey merle, so she's very unusual colours. She has sort of splotches of black and white and grey. Um, she has odd eyes. People always call them David Bowie eyes. Um, and I've had her since she was very, very, very young, a tiny little puppy. And I did a lot of training with her. And so I mentioned to you that I um, that she was a qualified therapy dog, and these days she's a an accredited story dog. So I um, volunteer with her. I take her into a a primary school once a week, and one by one, the children who are falling behind in reading come and read to Sailor the dog. Oh, I that's know. Lovely. Well, how old are these kids? Uh, they're about seven. And and Sailor is trained not to yawn and fall asleep or run away. <laughs> that's <laughs> to, right. to nod interestingly. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. But, you know, it's an amazing uh, sort of program because, you know, children who are nervous of reading aloud, for instance, um, when they read to the dog, you know, she's non-judgmental. She doesn't laugh when they make mistakes. And so... Um, yeah, their reading improves miraculously. What a lovely story. I love it. Now, now you know the, the old trope about people look like their dogs or their dogs look like their people. It is, are there, uh, beyond visual similarities, uh, are, are there any uh, characteristics that you think you and Sailor... <laughs> <laughs> Beyond sniffing other people's backsides in parks, are, are, are there any characteristics that you share? Well, she's um, sweet, loving. <laughs> <laughs> Ferociously intelligent. Craves affection. Very well trained. <laughs> very well behaved, except for a few, 
you know, slips here and there. Hmm. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll accept that deflection. You, you mentioned your volunteering, and, and I really appreciate it if you would chat a little bit about um, Habitat for Humanity. Ah, it? yes. Although I don't do that anymore. Ah, okay. As I've researched you, read about you, a very admirable theme throughout the, the career that I can find out is, is you do lots of charity work so would you mind chatting about your charity work I mean I, I didn't realize that Habitat for Humanity was was a an X thing yeah so I was their ambassador for quite a few years and I went to Cambodia twice um, with a team of people to build houses which was you know incredibly rewarding and fabulous um, I am a big believer in giving back I've been immensely lucky and quite privileged actually in my life and so um you know, finding myself with time on my hands, I do like to volunteer or offer my services for various things, various you, causes. You don't just offer them, you set them up. Knitting? Oh, well, the knitting. Yeah, stop being so humble, woman. <laughs> Come on, I'm, I'm passing you the baton to brag. Okay, I'll <laughs> brag about the knitting because that was uh, a fabulous, fabulous, you know, invention of mine, I'm going to say. Yes, yeah, so I was on the radio and I was talking about it was cold. I was knitting a scarf for my father, actually, who was in the hospital. And I started talking about knitting. I am such a basic knitter. And um, anyway, the floodgates opened and people rang and wrote in about knitting. It became a big thing. Somebody had written a book about knitting. There was knitting in the pub. There were all these things going on around knitting. And so our um, uh, marketing person thought, oh, let's, let's do a knitting competition. You know, let's do something. Let's kind of uh, capitalise on this knitting vibe. And I thought about it and I thought, no, I don't think it should be a competition. And I read about this charity called Wrap With Love. And I contacted them and so they were a lovely, worthy recipient and um, they uh, knit squares and then they knit the squares into blankets and then they send them to the cold and the needy all around the world to uh, refugee camps, to, you know, war zones, all that sort of thing. And so I thought, let's have a knit-in. Let's have a thing where all the listeners get together and knit squares for Wrap With Love. And so the location was the foyer of the huge ABC building in Sydney. It's huge. And then on the first morning, people were queued up outside the door at 6am and they filled to capacity the atrium. There was a spillover into one of the TV studios. There were thousands of people all knitting. This gorgeous sort of warm hubbub of voices and, and you know, community. It was just divine and that went as became an annual event for 10 years and i heard the other day that there was still one going on in perth yeah oh, fantastic i know it was just a beautiful thing and i'm uh, i'm very proud to have um, thought of the idea <laughs> well, that, 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 thank you for, for stepping <laughs> off the humble birch and that's wonderful so uh three more questions for you mm. and thank you very much for coming in and doing this You're welcome. Um, first question is uh, is there something about you that you wish people understood? Is there something about me that I wish people understood? Well, if they, I mean, that's my fault if they don't understand. Exactly, me. and now's your chance to put them right. No. 
That's, that, that's, but that, what a great place to be. You go, no, I, I feel that the, the, the people who know me know me. You know, my audience know the real me. That's not they haven't mistake. I, I, well, I, I suppose I, I've interviewed a chap from Love Actually, the actor. Oh yes, and, and, and he's he, he you know um, the, the not Hugh Grant. Uh, no, no, not not Hugh. But this this was the um, uh, the, the the chairman of Love, and he's got a big no. Colin Fristle, that bloke. And he goes, okay. so, so I'm known as the bloke who's got a big... And he's a serious <laughs> actor. Yeah, and he goes, I really wish people knew, Nigel. I've done other bloody films than I've actually... Anyway, so that's fine. So that, that's a great place to be. So I'm happy with that. Um, second question. Uh, do you get lonely? And if you do, what do you do to mitigate that? I do get lonely because I live by myself with my dog. So luckily I have my dog who mitigates loneliness. So I do love living by myself and sometimes I absolutely revel in it. I just love it to death and think, oh my God, I'm so lucky. And yes, I do get sometimes lonely and so sometimes I will probably pick up the phone or, you know, message someone and arrange to do something. Or at the very least, go out, go to a movie. I have been known to even go to a movie by myself. I had a real barrier about doing that for... I don't know why. Like I was doing something I wrong. That. Like That's matron right. would spank me, <laughs> That's right. or, or, or I'd be put in jail. Like, you go, you're allowed to go to a bloody film by yourself, and you're allowed to eat out by yourself too. Yes. Which, and I actually love that. There's something slightly rebellious about going out to a restaurant. And I don't do it very often, to tell you the truth. I've only done it a couple of times. Yes, I feel quite rebellious doing it. Yes, it's just me. Yes, I want a table for one. No, I want a nice table. Thank you. And I'll, you know, give you a nice tip and I'll. we'll all be very grown up about this. Yeah. No, I'm not waiting for somebody. Exactly. Should I be? Exactly. <laughs> um, the third and final question uh, is who would you like to hear on Five My Life next oh, and why? You didn't give me any notice about that. Uh, well, that shows you don't listen to the show because I ask every one of my guests. I do listen to the show. Uh -huh. Maybe I maybe I stop it before the end. <laughs> um, so just off the top of my head, somebody that I wanted to interview recently was Marcus Mumford. Marcus Mumford. Tell us about Marcus. Well, so that's Mumford and Sons, who are that English folk act, mm -hmm. who I love, who played recently up my way at Splendour in the Grass. He's married to the fabulous Carrie Mulligan, who is my favourite actoress. <laughs> <laughs> Kerry is a magnificent English actoress, and so I. And Marcus wrote the music, incidentally, for that wild TV hit called Ted Lasso. Oh wow! He wrote the theme music for that. That's a good credit to have, isn't it? It is, and so he's just um, got a lot of things that I would like to talk to him about. But then, if I get him on my show, is that going to cruel it for your fabulous? Um, no, you just go for it, honey. Oh, and I'll sure? look forward to listening. <laughs> and, and can I say congratulations on Suddenly Senior? I mean, amongst all the other a million things you do, it's a fabulous show. Thank you very much, Nigel. Angela Caterns, thank you for uh, twenty years after you woke me up for four years <laughs> uh, every, every day. Thank you for coming on and sharing your stories on Five My Life. Well, you're welcome. I've very much enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you follow Five of My Life, you might enjoy my latest book, Smart, Stupid and 60. In it, I write about a number of the issues discussed on the show. It's the 20-year follow-on from my first book, Fat, Forty and Fired. If you have any feedback on the book or suggestions for the show, please get in touch via my website, nigelmarsh.com.